Welcome to the Everyday Athletes Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jane Graves, and I'm excited to help you along your fitness journey. Whether you're a seasoned athlete or just starting out, this podcast will help you grow your mind and body to become an athlete in every season of life. This is episode nine of the Everyday Athletes Podcast. We are going to be talking about a topic that is very confusing for many people in the health and fitness industry. That topic is supplements. Should I take supplements? Should I not? What's good? What's not? There's so much confusion around it, and I am here to try to help break up some of that confusion. So this might be a little bit of a longer episode, but I think it's going to be really beneficial if we first talk about background of supplements and how they go through the process of being put on the market, because I think that's super important to know all the legal issues surrounding supplements. So let's dive in. Okay, let's talk about what a supplement actually is. So there is a education act called DSHEA, and it's called Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act. And they give us the definition, their definition of what a supplement is. That is any product intended to supplement the diet that contains one or more of the following ingredients, a vitamin, a mineral, herb or other botanicals, an amino acid, a concentrate, a metabolite, a, uh, a constituent um, extract, or combination of any of these ingredients. This is a very broad definition of what a supplement is. And thousands of ingredients could be marked as a supplement. Now we have to think about why people take supplements. Well, the USDA has statistics that show less than 1% of adults in the U.S. regularly consume five or more servings of fruits and vegetables, and more than 70% of the population fails to reach the recommended daily levels for vitamins and minerals. So that means that people feel that they need to supplement because of their lack of intake of whole foods. In 1997, about 50 to 60% of Americans were consuming dietary supplements on a regular basis because of this. And we have to assume that that, no, that number is only rising because of the popularity of self-care and fitness and all that kind of stuff. I think I would be doing y'all a big disservice by not going over the regulations that companies have to go through or don't have to go through to put their product on the market. So before we jump into specifics of supplements, like what should and should not be taken, let's talk about the regulation process. So the FDA doesn't regulate specific supplements, but that doesn't mean that supplement companies are free to do whatever they want and don't have any regulations. The FDA does require supplement companies to have clear and not misleading claims. Clear and misleading is in, or clear and not misleading is in quotations because that is very um, general and sometimes it's not accurate. Okay. But they have to put, supplement companies have to put um, clear and not misleading claims on their product. Uh, but though that may be, the FDA does not have the resources to police every single product out of the hundreds of thousands of products that come out with these outrageous claims that they do certain things. Only a small number of companies take the time and money to go beyond quote unquote claims and actually back their product up with scientific research and clinical trials for their particular products. 
because of the rise of popularity around supplement use, people have or are becoming more wary of supplements and are learning to ask the right questions when looking at supplements and making sure that the companies have done testing on their products. But there are still a lot of people out there that don't test their products because of how expensive it can be. And because supplement companies do not have to prove that a particular ingredient is safe before putting it on the market. I should probably say that again. They don't have to prove that particular ingredients are safe before putting them on the market. But instead, the FDA has to prove that the ingredient is harmful before they take it off the market. The DSHEA is in place to help with what should be on the market and what shouldn't. And some people think that it strikes a perfect balance so that consumers can obtain supplements while other people believe that the FDA is blocked from doing its job and protecting the public. So there's two opinions on that. Some people think that the uh, DSHEA is doing the perfect balance and other people are just like, no, it's blocking the FDA from doing its job. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, this is not absolute truth. So I just wanted to say that. I agree with the people who think that the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act keeps the FDA from doing its job. If you look into the DSHEA, Section 4 talks about how the burden of proof falls on the FDA, which means that supplement companies, which we just talked about, are not obligated to prove that certain ingredients are safe or even healthy for people to consume before putting them on the market. And the FDA has to prove otherwise. So that is why when looking for supplements, you should look at the ones that have science backing up their claims, not just like these blogs that are about people, you know, saying, oh, this is the best thing I've ever taken. It helped me do this, this, and this, but actual scientific evidence. Um, there is one supplement company in particular that I like that is fully science backed and fully transparent, and that's Legion Athletics. So if you ever are really like, man, I don't, I can't tell. Legion Athletics is one of the best companies um, for supplements. They are very transparent um, and, you know, want to help the consumer and not just take your money. Okay. So if you need more help with that, I would really look into them because they are a great company. Now, we're going to start to talk about specific supplements and what each one can be used for and why or not, why not you should use them. Remember that everybody is different, and just because one may be good for me, it might not be best for you. Also, we are going to go over the popular ones, so we'll not, we're not going to be hitting every supplement that would take so long because there are thousands out there. Um, and so I'm just going to hit some main ones that are really popular today. Okay, so we're going to go over those first. The first supplement we're going to be talking about is creatine. Creatine is a popular dietary supplement used primarily by athletes and fitness enthusiasts to enhance performance and muscle growth. Let's go over what creatine is. Creatine is a naturally occurring compound found in small amounts in certain foods and also synthesized in the body. It plays a crucial role in providing energy during short bursts of intense physical activity. Creatine has many benefits. It can help increase strength, power, and endurance, particularly during high-intensity, short-duration activities like weightlifting and sprinting. It may promote muscle protein synthesis and cell hydration, contributing to muscle growth. 
And some research suggests creatine may have cognitive benefits, but there are more studies that need to be done in this area before they can say like, yes, for sure, it does help with cognitive benefits. There's a few different types of creatine. Creatine monohydrate is the most common and well-researched form of creatine. There's also other alternatives like creatine ethyl ester and then uh, creatine HCL, and there's some other ones. But these alternative for forms claim better absorption, but the scientific evidence is mixed on those, so I particularly like to stick with creatine monohydrate. Let's talk about dosage. The typical dosage regimen involves a loading phase of about 20 grams of creatine per day, divided into four doses for seven to, or five to seven days, followed by a maintenance phase of three to five grams per day. Now, some individuals skip the loading phase and directly take three to five grams per day, which can be effective over time. Personally, I just take five grams consistently every day, and in 30 days, it will increase my creatine stores. It feels best for me, and it is easier on my stomach, which we're going to talk a little bit more later, but I like consistently just taking five grams every day because it's consistent and it's easy for me to remember. I prefer that. Not everybody will, but that's what I prefer. Creatine can be taken at any time of the day. Some people prefer taking it before or after workouts, while others take it with meals to enhance absorption. I usually take it during or after my workout, depending on the day, but as long as I take it, I don't really care what time I get it in. So the timing's not super um, pertinent for creatine. Okay, let's talk about some safety um, and side effects that go along with creatine. Creatine is generally safe for most people when used as directed. Common side effects may include stomach discomfort, there can be diarrhea and muscle cramps. Um, I have a lot of stomach problems and whenever I first started taking creatine, it made it worse because I was trying to do the loading phase where I was taking 20 grams for five to seven days and then I would do maintenance, but that wasn't optimal for me. Once I started taking five grams consistently, it helped with the stomach pain. Also, adequate hydration is super important when taking creatine. That will help minimize the risk of certain side effects. Like I said, whenever I drink a lot of water um, and plenty of fluids while taking creatine, I did not get any abdominal pain. I also, I also started mixing my creatine with liquid IV, which is an electrolyte powder, and that helped tremendously. Like I, I still take it every day, um, and I do liquid IV with my creatine every day. And I have had not had any stomach problems since I started doing that. And so that's how I do it. Now let's talk about who should use creatine. Creatine is for athletes and anyone seeking performance and muscle gains who are over 18. Now I am not a healthcare professional, so you should consult a healthcare professional before using creatine if you have any underlying medical conditions. Creatine is not recommended for pregnant or breastfeeding women, and like I just said, individuals under 18, unless you have medical supervision. Also, always buy from reputable sources to ensure the product quality. Um, some users cycle creatine, meaning they'll take it for a few months and then have a break. This is not necessary, but it can be a personal preference if you do have some of those stomach issues. Maybe you take it for two months and then you stop for a month and then re-go again. Um, that's all personal preference. It's totally up to you. I just take mine consistently. Remember, 
Individual responses to creatine can vary and results may not be immediate. It is important to combine creatine supplementation with a well-balanced diet and appropriate exercise to maximize its benefits. Also, when looking to buy creatine, make sure it is science-backed, and I also prefer no filler ingredients, just creatine monohydrate at five grams. That's what I prefer. All right, let's move on to protein. Protein is a big one. It's probably the biggest one in the industry. So let's dive into that one. People commonly take protein supplements to support muscle growth, recovery, and weight management, or as a convenient way to meet daily protein requirements. There are many different types of protein, so we're going to go over a few of those real quick. The first one is whey, which is probably the most popular one. Whey protein is a a fast digesting and rich in essential amino acids, making it ideal for post-workout recovery. Then you have casein protein. It's a slow digesting protein, and it is suitable for sustained protein release. This one's often taken before bed so that you get that protein release as you sleep. Then you have plant-based proteins. These are derived from sources like peas, soy, hemp, and rice. It's suitable for vegetarians and vegans. Then you have collagen protein, um, which may support joint and skin health. Then you have egg white protein, which is low in fat and carbs with a good amino acid profile. Now, which type is totally dependent on what you need. I prefer to take whey and casein. Um, I don't take casein much because I just don't buy it. Um, But I do take whey pretty regularly, not every day, but it's my preferred type of protein. Okay, let's talk about daily protein needs. Protein requirements are very dependent on factors like age, activity level, and your goals. Generally, for most of my clients, I say one gram per body weight, Um, but you could aim for like 0.8 grams to 1.2 grams per body weight, Um, and it's totally dependent on you and what you need, okay? So if you need more help with that, let me know. I would love to help you figure out what your daily protein needs are um, because it can be different for everyone. Okay, timing when taking protein. Protein can be consumed throughout the day. Many people like to take it post-workout to aid in muscle recovery, but honestly, as long as you're getting that protein in, it really does not matter what time of day you take it. Dosage is important. I like to follow the recommended serving size on the product label, whichever product that you're getting. Typically, this is going to range from 20 to 30 grams per serving. There are many potential benefits for taking protein as a supplement. It supports muscle growth, muscle repair, helps in uh, satiating or aiding weight management. It's a convenient source of protein, especially if you have a busy lifestyle, and it may benefit certain medical conditions, um, such as like malnutrition, um, which is actually more and more popular today. There are some drawbacks to protein though. Excessive protein intake can strain the kidneys in individuals with pre-existing kidney issues. I want you to hear that word, pre-existing. Some supplements may contain additives or allergens. That's why you always check the company to make sure that it's science-backed and that there's not a whole bunch of filler ingredients in there. Um, And the other drawback is that 
protein powders should not be used as a sole source of nutrition for extended periods. So if you're getting your protein all from supplementation of protein, like protein powders, protein drinks, you're not getting a full amino acid profile. And so you should not use this as the sole source of your protein intake. You need to be using whole foods also. Um, there's a safety side, which we already kind of talked about, is buying from those reputable brands to ensure the product quality and safety. Also, this is another one where you can consult a health care professional before starting the new supplement, especially if you have those underlying health concerns. There's also cost that you have to take into account. Protein supplements can vary widely in price. Um, so consider your budget. Like I told y'all earlier, I prefer Legion Athletics, um, but a lot of times they're on the more expensive side because they are all science-backed. So sometimes I buy um, from a different brand that I know is also science-backed because it's cheaper. So you kind of have to just watch out for, you know, the cost of things because it can get expensive to supplement protein constantly. Um, whole foods are the best way to get in protein. So like lean meats, poultry, fish, eggs, dairy, legumes, and nuts provide that essential protein and definitely should be a part of your balanced diet. So please take that into account when you are supplementing protein. And remember that while protein supplements can be beneficial in certain situations, they should not be a complete replacement for a well-rounded diet rich in whole foods for your overall health and nutrition. All right, let's move on to our third supplement, which is pre-workout. Pre-workout supplements are dietary supplements designed to quote unquote enhance exercise performance. That's I'm putting that in quotes because that's not necessarily true. Um, also increase energy levels and focus during workouts. They typically come in the form of powders and sometimes pills, um, and they are taken before exercise to help individuals maximize their training sessions. So let's first talk about the ingredients that are in pre-workout, because I find that a lot of times people don't know what is actually inside of it. So one of the ones is caffeine. Now you can get one that does not have caffeine in it, but caffeine is a stimulant that increases alertness, energy, and focus. Beta alanine is an amino acid that may help reduce muscle fatigue and improve endurance. Then you have creatine, which we already talked about. It's a compound that aids in energy production for short bursts of intense exercise. l arginine is an amino acid that may improve blood flow and increase the pump during workouts. Then you have your BCAAs, which are branch chain amino acids like leucine, isoleucine, and valine, which can support muscle recovery and reduce muscle soreness. Nitric oxide boosters are also in pre-workout. Those are ingredients like citrulline, uh, mal malitate, or like beetroot extract that may enhance blood flow and nutrient delivery to muscles. Then most pre-workouts have a wide variety of vitamins and minerals inside of them. Some pre-workouts contain um, those vitamins like B vitamins and electrolytes to support overall health and hydration. Now, here's what pre-workout does for you. Energy and focus are the primary purposes of pre-workout supplements. This can help individuals train harder and for longer durations. 
They also may get a muscle pump, um, which is temporary enlargement of muscles due to increased blood flow. This can give a feeling of fullness and tightness in the muscle, um, but honestly, it's not doing a whole lot for you. Um, but let's talk about dosage real quick. The recommended dosage for pre-workout supplements varies depending on the product and individual tolerance. Users are typically advised to follow the instructions on the product label and avoid exceeding those recommended dosage. The timing of pre-workout is usually 15 to 30 minutes before exercise just to allow those ingredients to take effect. This timing can help maximize the benefits during the workout. Now let's talk about side effects. While pre-workout supplements can be effective, they also have side effects, particularly if they're taken in um, like an overabundant amount. Common side effects may include jitteriness, rapid heartbeat, digestive issues, and difficulty, difficulty sleeping. It is important to be cautious with caffeine-containing pre-workouts, especially if you have a sensitivity to caffeine, which a lot of people do and they don't even recognize. The effectiveness and tolerance of pre-workout supplements can vary very widely between individuals. Some people may experience significant benefits while others may notice a difference or may experience very negative side effects. It is important that you use with caution. Individuals with certain medical conditions or sensitivities to um, specific ingredients should consult a healthcare professional before using pre-workout supplements. It's also important to use them as a part of a balanced diet and exercise program if you are using pre-workout. When choosing a pre-workout supplement, it is very, very, very essential to select products from reputable brands that undergo testing for quality and safety. Look for products with transparent ingredient lists and avoid those with excessive stimulants or um, different blends that don't disclose how much of a how much amount is in a certain ingredient. An ingredient. Some. Individuals prefer natural alternatives to pre-workout supplements, such as like balanced meals, adequate hydration, good night's sleep. These factors can also significantly impact exercise performance. So overall, pre-workout supplements can be a useful tool for individuals looking to have more energy in their workouts, but they should be used with caution and in moderation. I personally do not use pre-workout. I prefer to get a good night's sleep and proper nutrition to have energy during my workouts. The only time I will ever take something like pre-workout before a lift is if I feel very, very sluggish and I know I need a little bit more energy to keep the workout safe and effective. Then I will drink something called Alani New, which is more of a sugar-free energy drink. It has around 200 milligrams of caffeine. It is not technically pre-workout, but it has that stimulant in there that I need to help me get through the workout. And I rarely have to drink one before lift because I focus so much on sleep, recovery, and nutrition consistently. All right, let's move on to our fourth supplement, which I'm kind of combining these two in one because they go together. But we're going to be talking about BCAAs and EAAs. So BCAAs are branched chain amino acids, and EAAs are essential amino acids. There are two types of amino acid supplements often used by athletes and other fitness people to support muscle growth, recovery, and overall performance. 
However, there are certain considerations and very potential downsides to taking these supplements that you should be aware of. So BCAAs and EAAs only consist or only contain a subset of the 20 amino acids required by the human body. While BCAAs consist of three amino acids, EAAs contain all nine essential amino acids. However, they lack non-essential amino acids, which are crucial for various bodily functions, including immune support, hormone production, and enzyme activity. So they are not a complete protein source. Um, Taking BCAAs and EAAs in isolation can lead to an imbalance in amino acid levels in the body. This imbalance may interfere with the body's ability to utilize other amino acids effectively, potentially causing deficiencies in non-essential amino acids. They are expensive compared to whole protein sources such as lean meats, dairy, plant-based protein options. Um, So they're not cost-effective at all. Consuming a well-balanced diet that includes these protein sources can provide a broader spectrum of amino acids without the added cost of paying for these supplements. Some people also may experience digestive discomfort or gastrointestinal issues when taking amino acid supplements, particularly if they are consuming them in high doses, doses or without significant food intake. This can even look like having nausea, diarrhea, and bloating. Um, They also interfere with natural hormone production. So high doses of certain amino acids, especially leucine, may signal the body to increase insulin production. While this effect can be useful for muscle growth, it can also interfere with natural insulin regulation and potentially lead to insulin resistance over time. There is also a big lack of regulation on these dietary supplements um, and are not as strictly regulated as pharmaceuticals. This means that the quality and purity of these products can vary significantly between brands, potentially leading to issues with product safety and uh, efficacy. There is no clear advantage to these over whole proteins. Um, They have been marketed as beneficial for muscle recovery and growth, but there is limited evidence to suggest that they offer significant advantages over consuming complete protein sources like whey, casein, or plant-based protein. In many cases, whole proteins provide a way more balanced and nutritional complete source of amino acids over these BCAAs and EAAs. Everyone's nutritional needs and responses to supplements are unique, and so what works for one person may not work the same for another. It is essential to consult with a healthcare professional or a registered dietitian before adding in new supplements to your diet to ensure that they align with your specific goals and health status. So overall, while BCAAs and EAAs may offer some benefits for certain individuals and in specific situations, They are not a replacement for a well-balanced diet that includes a variety of protein sources. It's generally recommended to obtain your amino acids from whole foods whenever possible as they provide a broader array of nutrients and are more likely to support overall health and well-being. If you have specific fitness or dietary goals, you know, it is best to consult a healthcare professional, but realize that the BCAAs and EAAs are honestly just not 
not great because they're not cost effective. They really don't have any clear advantage. Um, you are better off taking a protein supplement whether than any of these little amino acid supplements. So I personally do not take any type of BCAA or EAA um, because I just don't, there's no advantage to it. There's more disadvantages than advantages. So I just ignore them altogether. And those are super popular right now because people are just throwing them out there and being like, this is great. This is going to help you do this, this, and this. Well, the cons outweigh the pros. So I would rather stick with my protein powders and my whole foods for everything else. So I do not take any type of BCAA or EAA. Let's move on to our fifth supplement, which is collagen. Collagen supplements have gained popularity in recent years due to their potential benefits for skin, joint, and overall health. However, it is essential to understand both the potential advantages and drawbacks associated with collagen supplementation. So let's first go over the good things about it. First is skin health. Collagen is a protein that plays a crucial role in maintaining the structure and elasticity of skin. Some studies suggest that collagen supplements may improve skin hydration, elasticity, and reduce the appearance of wrinkles. It can potentially help with conditions like dry skin and may promote a more youthful appearance. Um, joint health is another thing that collagen is apparently good for. So collagen is a component of cartilage, which cushions and supports joints. Some people take collagen supplements to alleviate joint pain and stiffness associated with conditions like osteoarthritis. While research on this topic is mixed, some individuals report improved joint comfort with collagen supplementation. Now, like I said, the research is mixed, so this could be um, biased or it could be just in the brain that it feels better or it could actually work. But we don't have um, good enough research to actually say that it is beneficial. Collagen is also essential component of uh, hair and nails. Some users claim that taking collagen supplements leads to stronger nails and thicker hair. However, also like the joint health scientific evidence support these claims is very limited. So take that as you will. Collagen contains amino acids like glycine, which su may support gut health by promoting the integrity of the gut lining. This can potentially help with conditions like leaky gut syndrome, although more research is needed, as with the other three things we've already talked about. Supplements, uh, collagen supplements, particularly collagen protein, can contribute to your overall protein intake and support muscle growth and repair when combined with exercise and a balanced diet. Now, collagen and collagen protein are not exactly the same thing, so just keep that in mind as you're going through this. Okay, now let's go over the bad side of collagen. So there is a lack of scientific consistency, which we just talked about. In every single one of those, it said there is a lack of research on this. While there is some evidence to support the potential benefits of collagen supplements, more research is needed to establish definite conclusions. The effectiveness of collagen supplementation varies among individuals and results can be very inconsistent. So keep that in mind. Collagen is a protein and like other dietary pro proteins, it needs to be broken down into amino acids during digestion for the body to use it effectively. Some people may not digest collagen supplements well and its absorption can be limited compared to other protein sources. So you may not be getting the best 
bang for your buck out of collagen protein if that's what you're taking in because your body may not absorb it well. Let's talk about cost. High quality collagen supplements can be relatively expensive, especially when compared to whole food sources of protein. So if you can achieve your protein intake through a well-balanced diet, supplementation may not be necessary and so that cost would not be as high. Collagen supplements are typically derived from animal sources such as beef or fish. This can be problematic for individuals with allergies or sensitivities to these sources. Additionally, some people may experience digestive discomfort, including bloating and diarrhea when taking collagen supplements. If you are taking medication or have underlying health conditions, it's essential to consult with a healthcare professional before ever starting collagen supplementation as it can interact with certain medications um, or specific health issues. And lastly, let's talk about the ethical and environmental concerns. The sourcing of collagen from animal products raises ethical and environmental concerns, particularly with regards to overfishing and animal welfare. Some people may prefer plant-based alternatives or collagen supplements that prioritize sustainable sourcing. So overall, collagen supplements may offer potential benefits for skin, joint, and gut health, among others, but the scientific evidence supporting these claims are not yet robust. If you are considering collagen supplementation, please consult a professional to determine whether this is appropriate for your specific needs. Additionally, it is wise to focus on a balanced diet Obviously, like I've been saying over and over and over, and personally, I do not take any type of collagen supplement because I just don't find that it's going to be helpful for me. And because the science is so mixed, I just don't think that's right for me at this time. Maybe once we get more science, we'll see. But for now, there's not enough to prove that it is worthwhile for me. Okay, let's move on to our sixth supplement. I've also combined two in this one as well because greens powders and the red powders are all kind of similar. They are dietary supplements that typically contain concentrated extracts of fruit, vegetables, herbs, and other plant-based ingredients. While they are marketed as a convenient way to increase your intake of nutrients and antioxidants, there are several reasons why they may not be the best choice for supplementation. For one, there is a lack of dietary fiber. So greens powders often like di dietary, dietary fiber, which is an essential component of whole fruits and vegetables. Dietary fiber supports digestive health, helps regulate blood sugar levels, and contribute to a feeling of fullness. When you consume a green powder without the fiber found in whole foods, you miss out on those very important benefits. Similarly, red powders may lack that fiber content found in whole fruits like berries and cherries. Fiber also plays a vital role in maintaining digestive health and can help with the feeling of satiety. So those powders like lack fiber that you need. Two, there is a potential for overconsumption. So green and red powders can be highly concentrated sources of calories, especially if you consume large servings. Without the bulk and satiety of whole foods, it's so much easier to overconsume calories when consuming these powders. Also, some red powders may contain added sugars to improve the taste, which can lead to an excessive intake of added sugars if consuming in large qualities. 
Third, there is a limited nutrient diversity with these green and red powders. While green powders may provide a variety of vitamins and minerals, they often like lack the full spectrum of nutrients that you would obtain from consuming a diverse range of whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable offers a unique set of micro, um, micronutrients um, and green powders may not capture this diversity. Red powders simu- similarly may not provide the full spectrum of nutrients and antioxidants available in whole red fruits. Fourth is the bioavailability and processing. So the processing of ingredients to create green and red powders can affect the bioavailability of nutrients. Some antioxidants may not be sensitive to the, or may be, sorry, may be sensitive to the heat and processing, which can lead to a reduction in their effectiveness. Then you have the expense. High quality green and red powders can be relatively expensive compared to purchasing fruits and vegetables. While they offer convenience and their cost of their cost effectiveness may be very questionable when compared to a balanced diet and rich whole foods. Six, they lack regulation. Like we talked about earlier, the dietary supplement industry um, is not tightly regulated like the food industry. This means that there may be a variability in the quality and safety of the products. And it's essential to choose supplements from reputable manufacturers to ensure their safety and effectiveness. Lastly, there's just no substitute for whole foods. Perhaps the most significant drawback is that they have no substitute for a diet rich in whole foods, vegetables, and other plant-based foods. Whole foods offer numerous health benefits beyond just their nutritional content, including that fiber, water, um, and nutrients that work together to support health. So in conclusion, while green and red powders can provide a convenient way to supplement your diet with additional nutrients, they should not replace the consumption of whole fruits and vegetables. Whole foods offer that, wi- offer that wide range of health benefits that dietary supplements just cannot replace. So if you choose to use a red or green powder, please do so in moderation um, and with eating a well-balanced diet, including those regular fruits and vegetables, because they just don't compare. I do not take any sort of green or red powder because I prefer to get that through Whole Foods. And it just, there's no substitution that can be made for eating vegetables and fruits like they are instead of trying to supplement for them. Also, I know these powders can be convenient, but also it can be just as convenient to buy um, a fruit platter or a, um, a vegetable platter from Walmart, you know, one of those little ones. So, You may say it's for convenience, but there are also very convenient ways to get in whole fruits and vegetables while on the go. So I don't find that as a good excuse to take green or red powders because you can get it through whole foods um, and you can make it very um, easy to take in on the go. Okay, last supplement that we're going to go over today is magnesium. Magnesium is an essential mineral that plays a crucial role in various physiological functions within the human body. While it is primarily obtained through dietary sources, 
Magnesium supplements are available for, for individuals who may not be meeting their recommended daily intake or have specific health conditions that may require some supplementation. So let me talk about first the forms of magnesium supplements. You have magnesium citrate. This form is commonly used due to its high bioavailability and is often recommended for individuals with constipation as it may have a mild laxative effect. Magnesium oxide contains a higher percentage of elemental magnesium, but has lower bioavailability compared to the citrate. Magnesium glycinate known, is known for its high bioavailability and low risk of causing gas gastrointestinal discomfort. So that one's very, very popular. Um, then you have magnesium L-theronate. Um, and its potential for cognitive benefit as it can cross, there's like a big potential that it can benefit the cognitive um, blood-brain barrier. Um, and then you have magnesium chloride, which is often used in topical magnesium products like sprays and creams. And then there's magnesium sulfate, commonly known as Epsom salt, used in baths for muscle relaxation. Now the recommended daily allowance for magnesium varies by age and gender. On average, adult men need around 400 to 420 milligrams per day, while women may need 310 to 320 milligrams per day. Um, and then pregnant and lactating women may require more. Okay, let's talk about the functions of magnesium. So you have muscle and nerve function. Magnesium is essential for muscle contraction and proper nerve function. Then there's bone health and it plays a role in bone formation and maintenance. Heart health, magnesium helps maintain a normal heartbeat and may contribute to cardiovascular health. Then it helps with energy production as it is involved in the conversation of food into energy. It can also help with blood sugar control, um, which may help regulate blood sugar levels. And then blood pressure regulation as it can help relax blood vessels to lower blood pressure. Now let's talk about who may benefit from magnesium supplements. Individuals with magnesium deficiency obviously would benefit from this, and that needs to be diagnosed by a healthcare professional. You can't just be like, man, I'm magnesium deficient. Well, how do you know? You should probably get diagnosed by a healthcare professional. Um, and then it can also be beneficial for people with um, certain medical conditions, such as like gastrointestinal disorders that impair magnesium absorption. It can be beneficial for athletes and, and individuals with high physical activity levels um, that may require more magnesium due to increased loss through sweat. And then pregnant and lactating women as their magnesium requirements could be higher. Um, there are potential side effects in any supplement. Magnesium supplements are generally safe when taken as recommended. An excessive intake can lead to diarrhea, abdominal cramping, and other gastrointestinal symptoms. Individuals with kidney problems should consult a healthcare before taking magnesium supplements. So it's usually if you're taking it in excess, it, is there ever a side effect? Magnesium supplements can interact with certain medications like antibiotics, diuretics, and medications for heart conditions. So it's essential to discuss magnesium with a healthcare professional if you're taking any medication. Um, but let's talk about the food sources that you can get magnesium from. Magnesium-rich foods include nuts, seeds, leafy green vegetables, whole grains, beans, and some seafood. 
So before you start taking this supplement, ask yourself if this may be beneficial to you, especially if you do have underlying health conditions or taking any medications that may be beneficial for you to talk to your doctor before you ever start looking at this. Um, but they can help determine whether supplementation is necessary and provide guidance on the appropriate dosage and form of magnesium for your specific needs. Now, I take magnesium because it helps me to relax. Um, as you notice, it does bring down blood pressure. So at night, a lot of time, if I have trouble falling asleep because I have so much on my mind, there is a calming benefit to magnesium. And so it helps relax my mind a little bit more, helps me you know, clear my head to help me go to sleep. And usually whenever I'm taking it at night, I only take 80 milligrams. So I'm not taking an abundance of it. Um, and so that's why I take magnesium and I don't take it every night. I only take it on certain nights where maybe I didn't get enough magnesium in my diet for that day. Or if I can feel that I have too much on my mind and I need extra help to calm myself down. So that's why I ever take magnesium. So we have just gone over only seven of the many, many, many supplements out there. There are ones that are super, these are the ones that are super popular today. Um, and that's why I chose to go over these seven. But remember, I am not a registered dietitian, nor am I a doctor. So when considering supplements to add into your diet, you may want to refer to your doctor or your registered dietitian, especially if you have any health concerns or diseases that may can be altered through supplementation. These doctors and registered dietitians can give you more information and be able to tell you in more detail whether a certain supplement is right for you. So please go to them first. If you have found that this is helpful, please like this episode and give me a review um, just so that I know that this is beneficial to y'all. And please also share this with family and friends who may benefit from this episode because I know there's so much confusion surrounding supplements. And so I hope that this episode has helped clear some of that up. And as always, keep striving to be an athlete in every season of life.